to be reading out of chapter 1 of Jeremiah. Now, while you are turning there, I just want to say once again, I often try to do this, I've not been here for a while or not been at the pulpit for a while, that uh, Joyce and I just really very much appreciate all of you. And we appreciate this assembly as a whole for the way that you have signed us and supported us over many, many years. And uh, that support, of course, continues on, and we are just so very, very thankful. There are times when we've really felt like, with, you know, without the love and the support of this assembly, we would have been, we would have been struggling in some ways that we necessarily didn't want to struggle in. Uh, <laughs> But we, we do appreciate you all and appreciate uh, what the Lord has done through you uh, on behalf of our ministry. Jeremiah chapter 1, please. And we're going to begin reading right at verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word and let's commit the time into his care. Father, once again, we come into thy holy presence, acknowledging once again that our access has been made possible through the blood of Thy Son, made possible through faith and trust in Him. And now, because You have saved us and set us apart, we can come boldly into Your presence and ask for help in time of need. And so, Father, we ask for Your help this morning. We ask that Your Spirit would be moving in our midst and in our thoughts that the things that are spoken might truly bring glory and honor to You and to Your Son. So we commit it to Thee in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Now, I have literally been living in Jeremiah for the last several months. 
Anytime I pick up the Word of God to read, it's been in Jeremiah. I've been working my way through the book of Jeremiah and through Lamentations. And I've read through it on a, several times now and into Lamentations a couple of times. And I've just been enjoying the contemporary nature of Jeremiah. How can something that was written 600 years before the coming of Christ, 600 years before that time, and, and thousands of years now, how can it be still speaking to men and women today? But it is amazing, an amazingly contemporary book. It speaks to us very clearly in this postmodern world. It speaks very clearly to us in a society, a Western society, that has become dominantly, religiously pluralistic. Sometimes we get the idea that religious pluralism is a new thing. It is not a new thing. It has been around for millennium. Where men and women see many, many other gods and worship many, many other gods and see value and see truth in all of these different systems of religion and say you cannot be exclusive in believing what you believe. If you are exclusive in believing what you believe, you are intolerant and we will not accept you. All truth is relative truth. All truth is acceptable truth. And there's some truth in Buddhism. There's some truth in in Hinduism, there's some truth in this and there's some truth in that. And you put them all together and they're all heading toward God. Christianity and Judaism, from which Christianity came, is extremely intolerant. Because there is only one way. There is only one way to God. If you take a comparative religions class in the university, you will find that, oh, no, 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 there's many, many ways to God. But we know that there is but one way. And it's through the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life a ransom for many. Being a prophet as Jeremiah is, was never an easy gift. Being a prophet in Old Testament times and in New Testament times was not an easy thing. Being a prophet in the time of Jeremiah when the world around him was seemingly falling apart, and we'll see that hopefully in a a few minutes, was a difficult ministry. A difficult task that was given unto him. They were required as prophets to bring messages of rebuke that no one wanted to hear. Messages of exhortation and rebuke that no one wanted to hear. That they'd stop their ears lest they hear what they did not want to hear. Messages that were calling for repentance. Messages that were calling for change. For renewal in the hearts and minds of people. And that is a work that only the Spirit of God can produce in people's lives. You can even make an external 
assent to some of these things and not have the change taking place in your heart. It's a difficult ministry that was given unto the prophets. We mentioned one time before, uh, last year, I think it might, might have even been before, after that. But remember the, the ministry that was given to Isaiah. And as the Lord gave the ministry to Isaiah, the prophet, He told him, now you're going to go out, Isaiah, and you're going to share what I tell you to share. And no one is going to listen to you. No one's going to believe you. No one's going to repent. No one's going to turn their ways. Go out and have a good time. But this is my will for you. This is the message you are to proclaim. And in some ways, with this weeping prophet of Jeremiah... And as you read through the narrative, and I'm hoping these couple of lessons at the beginning of this month will encourage you to read through Jeremiah again to see the contemporary nature of this book. But with Jeremiah, the message is going to be the same. It's going to look like, appear as though revival is taking place under the time of Josiah, but the hearts of men are still hard. Externally, things look good. Internally, Not so much. Stuff we face day by day as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ in the day in which we live. A simple reading of this book without doing any exegesis at all, without doing any deep research at all, just a simple reading of the book will answer the question of its relevancy to us today. Just read it. Just read it. And you will see application after application after application to our lives. It speaks to our hearts. It speaks to our lives. Now, Jeremiah is not an easy book to put together. Chronologically, sometimes it doesn't flow in a chronological form. Sometimes it looks like pieces from... From, for, um, for example, his, his speech in the temple in chapter 7 seems like it maybe should be near chapter 26 when he speaks in the temple and they threaten to kill him. They try to kill him for his message. It seems as though maybe editors have taken this now and, and placed it all in certain places as they recorded the words of Jeremiah in order that the exiled people would have the word of God that they could read But for me, when I approach the book of Jeremiah, I see it as a composite whole, flowing from thought to thought, from narrative to narrative, looking through all of the Hebrew poetry that is mixed in here. And remember that. We did a lesson on that a while back. How Hebrew poetry works. And you're going to see a flow of Hebrew poetry and a pause while he preaches and explains something. Then it flows back into Hebrew poetry. Marvelous book, as you already know. A marvelous book with wonderful truths for us to learn. These first three verses set, almost like a prologue, set the pattern for things that we're going to see in the book. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Let's pause there for a minute. We're going to do several of these pauses as we're going along. I probably won't get very far, but that's okay. That's not unusual for me. 
Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. Now, we know who Hilkiah is, right? He was the high priest. The high priest. Jeremiah was his son. Growing up in Anatoth, the, the, in that little town in Bethlehem, which was the town of the priests. Hilkiah means my portion is from the Lord, or my portion is the Lord. Now that is very true of the, of the Levites as a whole, isn't it? That's a pretty reasonable statement of the Levites as a whole, because did they inherit a portion in the land? Oh, yes, we would say no. But their portion is the Lord, right? Their portion was the Lord. They were scattered through different, all the different kind of, of, of tribal areas that were set apart as, their, as the portion for the different people, different tribal groups, but their portion was the Lord. So Hilkiah says, my inheritance, if you will, because portion means just a plot or, or chosen out piece. My inheritance is the Lord. That's what his name meant. My inheritance is the Lord. Can we relate? Can you relate? Does not Ephesians tell us the same thing in chapter 2? That we have an inheritance? And what is the inheritance? Well, we often think of it in terms of, oh, we're going to inherit heaven, we're going to inherit all these things, and that's true. But our inheritance is the Lord. The praise of Him. We've inherited a great heritage. The Lord Himself is our inheritance. We possess Him. He is ours and ours forever. In that verse I read this morning as I was thinking about it, I have found Him. He found me, of course. And I will not let Him go. You feel that in your heart of hearts? You have him now. You've fallen in. Oh, I always say fallen in love, you know. And I get—I've been rebuked for saying that, for saying we've fallen in love with the Savior, because it shouldn't. Anyway, I'm going to say it anyway. We've fallen in love with the Savior, and we will not let him go. Sometimes we wander far from him. Sometimes we slip up and we make mistakes and failures. But I will not let him go, and he will never. Let me go. I am His and His forever. Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah. What must it have been like to grow up as the son of the high priest? Certainly, certainly there was, there was this sense of learning that Jeremiah would have had, right? There was a sense of learning that Jeremiah would have had under the tutelage of his father. Learning wonderful things about the ministry that was supposed to be his. He was going to inherit the priesthood as well, wasn't he? He was, he was the son of... He may have even inherited the, the high priesthood as a son of Aaron through Hilkiah, the high priest. Taught the things of God. Taught going to the temple on the regular feast days. Learning by watching his father. Hilkiah. You'll remember Hilkiah was the one that found the, the book of the law in the temple when they were, when they were 
Uh, we don't have time to go through the whole history of that. But when they were going through, and Josiah had gathered up some funds from the people in order to go into the temple and to repair the temple and to clean the temple. And while they were doing so, they found the book of the law. Imagine that it was lost. They found the book of the law. And they took it out and he read it. Hilkiah read it. And he gave it to someone to bring to Josiah the king. And when Josiah the king read it, he rent his clothes. Recognizing that, wow, we have made some serious errors. And we have wandered away from the Lord. (coughs) And this was in a time during a revival in Israel. Which we will again see in a minute. Son of Hilkiah. Underneath his lesson, underneath his tutelage, we recognize that just because you have a good and godly father does not always necessarily mean that you will turn out to be a good and godly man, does it? It was the case with Jeremiah that he turned out to be a a tremendous prophet of God. And we recognize that fathers have a tremendous influence on their children. Fathers have an amazing impact on their sons and daughters. As they watch you, as they listen to you, as they listen to you, how you speak when you're in the assembly of God's people here in this building, and how you speak when you're at home. Is it the same? Is it consistent? How you act when you're among your brothers and sisters, and how you act when you are at home. Is it consistent? Children will recognize it right away and they will notice it right away. And they will follow the examples that are set for them from an early age. Just because a father is spiritual doesn't mean that the son or the daughter will be spiritual. Because they are their own souls and they have their own responsibilities before God. You can lead them and you can direct them and you can train them in in righteousness, but they may, by a personal choice, walk away. And that is hard, isn't it? That is hard. And we've talked about it before here. When we are told to train up a child in the way he will go, when he is old he will not depart from it. We don't, we don't have that as a concrete, it's a proverb, of course. The likelihood of it is there. But also we recognize that the Old Testament, uh, some of the Old Testament scholars nowadays and in Judaism will say that that verse does not mean that you raise them up in the things of God and then when they get older they're not going to depart from the things of God. They, it means if you let a child raise himself in the way he wants to go when he is old, he won't depart from the idea of he does his own thing and he does what he wants to do. If you do not discipline a child as he's growing up and he gets his own way all the time, when he gets older, he's not going to depart from that way of life. Demanding his own way all the time. We live in a society nowadays when we have a whole generation that's raising up that is a dependent generation. Not to make generalities because that's not always true. But it's a I'm owed something generation. Many times they didn't have to work when they were growing up. They didn't have to go through chores when they were growing up. They didn't have responsibilities when they were growing up. And now that they're growing up, they have no responsibilities. Train up a child in the way he wants to go. When he's old, he's not going to depart from that. He's going to do what he wants to do. Train up a child in the things of God. 
and the things of righteousness, and that will be the core from which he'll grow. Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, the great high priest. We also recognize that this was during the reign of Josiah when he first gets his calling. The reign of Josiah, king of Israel. Now, we remember about Josiah that he became king at a very young age. I think he was eight years old. He was eight years old when he became king. And that was after a great deal of intrigue because his father Ammon was, was assassinated. After, I think it was three months he was in office, he was assassinated. And then the assassins were assassinated. It was a time of great intrigue. And then they put Josiah on the throne at eight years of age. Imagine that responsibility. Did he have counselors? Yes. Do you think one of those counselors may have indeed been Hilkiah, the high priest? For when he was 16 years old, eight years later, it says he sought the Lord. You can read this in in 2 Kings 24, and I think it's in, is that 24? And in uh, 2 Chronicles as well, you can read the story. And when he was 16 years old, he began to seek the Lord. And you see a pattern that, that, is, that follows. He seeks the Lord at 16. By 20, he's tearing down the altars of other gods. Where do you think he got that idea? He was just knocking around the house one day and he thought, I don't like these idols, they're in my way, I'm going to take, get rid of them. He was under the tutelage of Hilkiah. He was underneath the tutelage of others. He was seeking the Lord. And the Lord, I'm sure, was the one who laid it on his heart that there should be no other gods before me. And he went and he began to purge the land of all the idols. Purge the land of all the idols. And then when he was 26 is when the law was discovered that we talk about, talked about previously. The law was discovered. And when he saw that, even though he was already purging the land, even though he was already recognizing that God needed to have uh, supreme authority in his life, he rent his clothes, recognizing how far they had fallen short. And he goes out and continues tearing down the bales, tearing down the idols, tearing it all down, and setting up once again the Lord alone as the one to be worshipped and the one to be adored. The Lord alone. You, you always know that you've been speaking too long when your tablet goes off. And <laughs> But even though... And you can read this for yourself through the, King, the Second Kings and in, in, in Second Chronicles. You can read of how even though there was spiritual revival in the land under Josiah, the sins that came down from his grandfather Manassas were so deeply rooted in the hearts of men that the revival was actually, although it sounds dramatic when you read it, was actually quite shallow. And as soon as Josiah dies in battle at at 39 years old, they revert right back to their old ways. 
and his son, Jehoiakim, takes the throne. And he goes back to serving and worshiping idols. Shallowness. Shallowness in faith. A faith that is surface only. A faith that expresses itself one way when you're around believers and another way when you're living your life. Shallowness. Lack of genuine commitment to the things of God is prevalent in this society in which we live. Prevalent in our Western society and in many other societies as well. Men and women who speak one thing and live something else. And what do we call that? Hypocrisy. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests in Anathoth, the land of Benjamin. And the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, Son of Josiah. You see, there's a, there's a lesson to be learned here. You read the names of the kings, and we're not taking the time to go back and, and see how they all functioned, but we do know this. Hezekiah was a good king. You remember Hezekiah? Hezekiah was a good king. He brought revival to the land of Judah. He brought, he brought a restoration of things. He tore down all the high places. Never was there one like Hezekiah. And then, his son was Manasseh. You see the contrast? A good and godly man, his son takes over, and he is considered to be the worst and most evil king that ever ruled. And on into the Scriptures, it was the sins of Manasseh that caused him to move away. The sins of of that son. And then his son is Ammon. Josiah's son. And then Josiah comes along and he has all this wonderful reform. And then he leaves and Jehoiakim takes over. And Jehoiakim is evil. You see? What's happening? What's happening? In the hearts and lives of these people. There's no letting go of their sins. Manasseh didn't let go of the sins of his forefathers, even though Hezekiah came in between. Jehoiakim didn't let go of the sins of his forefathers. His, uh, Manasseh, even though his father was a godly man. And the cycle goes on and on. Where do you find yourself in the cycle this morning? Where do you find yourself in the cycle? I know you. I know your hearts. I know your lives. I know about you. Some of you I don't know very well. Others of you I know quite well. But where are you in the cycle? 
Are you those who have committed yourself totally and fully to the Lord your God? Or are you those who are wanting more the things of the world than the things of God? It's a serious question. It's a very serious question. What is it that we desire? Then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, saying, Before I formed you, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Isn't that a beautiful, intimate statement? Isn't that a beautiful, intimate statement? Jeremiah, before you were even in the womb, it's not as if you were already in the womb and I saw you in the womb being fearfully and wonderfully made and I predetermined now that when you were born I was going to call you out and do this before you were even formed in the womb. I chose you to be my prophet for this time, for this moment in time, for this extremely difficult ministry. I formed, even before you were formed, I chose you, Jeremiah. That rings to us, doesn't it, a little bit? It rings to us a little bit. For you were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. Were you not? Were you not chosen by Him? Are you not those who are among His elect before the foundation of the world? You who know Him as your Savior and Lord here this morning. Did He not know you? Isn't that the most amazing foreknowledge and and omniscience that you, you can conceive of? He knew you. And He called you. And you responded to Him. And you became born again. And you repented of your sin. And you were saved. And then He said to you, I have called you. By my name, you belong to me. Of course, he said that to someone else. But it rings true to you, doesn't it? You belong to him? Don't all answer at once. Do you belong to him? Yeah, he's your Lord. He's your Savior. You are his. And he says, and I chose you before the foundation of this world. With a purpose. With a purpose. Now, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. I've called you with a purpose. We were not called to be prophets as, as in the sense of an Old Testament prophet. In the sense of an Old Testament prophet, we were not called. But I'll tell you what we were called. Saints. Saints, those who have been set apart by God, all of us have been set apart by God. We belong to Him. He is ours. We dare not refuse Him anything that He desires from us. And how often we do, right? How often we do. Ah, we're human aren't we? We're all so very human. And at least I know I'm very human. I think you are too. We're all so very human. 
And although we strive and desire to do that which will please the One who bought us, we often fall short. Don't we? But He will not let you go. You are His. And you are His forever. And He holds you. And He upholds you. And He will always uphold you. Fall and fail as you might. He will never fail. And He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Isn't it wonderful to know Him? Isn't it wonderful to know Him? Jeremiah called you. Even before you were formed in the womb, I chose you. Each one of you can put your own name in there. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. I love that term. I love that little phrase. I knew you. He knows me. He knows you. He knows all those little intricate idiosyncrasies in your life. He knows all your habitual failures. He knows all your your um, shortcomings. He knows all your thinking. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. There's nothing I can do, nothing I can say, that He does not know it all together. He knows me. And He still loves me. Isn't that nice? That's wonderful. Therefore, we won't let Him go. We hold on to Him. What else do we have in this world? What else do we have in this world? It's spinning away from God. We hold on to the One that we love. Before you were born, I set you apart. I ordained you to be a prophet to my people. And we just barely scratched the first verse. Going into the second verse. But that's okay because I have one more week. And that will get us through a lot. (laughs) Take it to heart, my brothers and sisters. See the patterns. See the contemporary nature of this book. See where you fall. See where you are in light of the things that are said in Jeremiah. Look at all the, all the ways in which he deals with a, a world in which is so very similar to our own. Enjoy reading Jeremiah. It's a hard book to read because of the tears that are shed. Because of the hard things that Jeremiah must proclaim. But nevertheless, nevertheless, He never leaves them. And He will not forsake them. Even though they go into captivity for 70 years, He will bring them back. And His promises are still yea and amen. Yea and amen. We're going to go into a time of prayer now. And I'm going to ask that um, I'm going to ask that Joey would close that time of prayer for us when it comes, comes to near the end and things are slowing down then uh, ask that Joey would close that time in prayer.